This episode is sponsored by Schwann's.com. What are you having for dinner tonight? Hmm, good question. Schwann's Home Delivery has a solution for you. Stock up your freezer with high-quality frozen foods like premium meats and sides, delicious ready-made meals, ice cream, and more. No subscriptions, no memberships, just a friendly yellow truck that's been delivering food for almost 70 years. Listeners of this show get a special deal. Get 20% off your first order with code YUM20. Check out schwanns.com backslash yum for details. And you're on right now with Jim Dawes, a daily journal of news, politics, and culture from the American nationalist perspective. Well, Donald Trump ran for office promising to rebalance our disastrous trade relationships with the rest of the world, and especially with China. And this week it was announced that after two years in office and uh, working diligently on the problem, uh, the United States and China are getting very close to signing a trade agreement. Uh, and we're joined now by Michael Stumo. He's with the Coalition for a Prosperous America. They're a group representing America's farmers, ranchers, manufacturers, and organized labor to try to look out for the interests of American workers and, uh, and businessmen. Mike, thanks for joining us. Hi, Jim. Great to be here. So uh, you've been speaking a lot recently about... Uh, not only uh, trade agreements in uh, addressing this, uh, these, uh, these huge deficits that we've been running up for year after year, but also the importance a strong dollar plays in, uh, in these trade deficits. So I wanted to have you on and talk about that, but uh, I want to start out with a, a little clip. This is the president uh, discussing um, exactly where we're at right now. I'll give you a little advance information. Uh, I see Steve Mnuchin's here and Ambassador Lighthizer. here. We just left a big meeting with China and we just put out a statement that we're doing very well with China. It was a uh, long weekend. They decided to stay for two and a half more days. They'll probably be leaving late tonight. They're going back and if all works well, we're going to have some very big news over the next uh, week or two. And... Uh, it's really been terrific. I tell you that uh, whole relationship has been outstanding. We put ourselves into a position of strength for the first time in about uh, 35 years or probably a lot more than that. But uh, China has been terrific. We want to make a deal that's great for both countries. If we can do the great economic, deal, it would be the largest trade deal ever made by far. If you look at it, it's our deal with China. I'll give you a little. Well, on the uh, on the heels of this announcement, uh, they've they've announced uh, Robert Lighthizer, our U.S. Trade Representative, announced that uh, they're going to suspend, for now at least, the uh, the twenty five percent tariffs that were set to go into effect. So, just give us a, sort of a broad overview of where we're at right now on our trade relationship with China, and uh, and and then uh, tell us about the strong dollar and how that figures into it. Sure. Well, the big news today, and this is. Uh uh, March 6th is that uh, 
Bureau of uh, well, the Department of Commerce released statistics today showing that U.S. trade deficit worsened to its worst ever. Six hundred billion dollars last year. Yeah, six hundred twenty-one billion dollars is up twelve and a half percent from the previous year, and it's been up you know under, the, under Obama and then under Trump now. And uh, most of that is uh, because the dollar's been strengthening, and it makes our exports non-competitive, and it makes the imports cheaper. But uh, so that that's what's big news. Today, the, the, the tariffs against China are predicated on their systematic <clears throat> technology, forced technology transfer and intellectual property theft. There's a, a big report came out last year documenting 35 to 40 different ways in which they forced U.S. companies to transfer their tech or else they use physical or, or, or digital-based uh, 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 you know, spying or hacking. Uh, uh, but it's 35 to 40 different ways where they got our tech, critical technologies, military relevant, you know, industries of the future, critical infrastructure and the like, and uh, put tariffs on $50 billion worth of Chinese imports at a level of 25%. Those 50 billion in imports were targeted to products sold by China, benefiting from the tech theft. China then uh, retaliated rather than saying, we're going to stop. They retaliated with tariffs against our agricultural producers. So Trump put tariffs on another $200 billion at 10% and said he'd go higher if they retaliated, and they did. So it was this going from 10% to 25% on that $200 billion that was paused now during the negotiations. So there still are tariffs. They just didn't go up. You know, I've seen this before with the Trump administration as they, uh, they make uh... – uh, dire threats on the trade front, and then uh, walk right up to the line and uh, and step back from them. Uh, and I worry that uh, you know China is going to see this and and call our bluff finally, and uh, and you know make promises as they have in the past that they have no intention of keeping. That's the real risk. That's what we're worried about. Uh, we we. Ambassador, Trade Ambassador Lighthizer, we think, is the best U.S. trade representative in the history of the country. Uh, he is willing to uh, go further, I believe. Uh, Peter Navarro, of course, uh, he's the head of the Office of Trade and Manufacturing Policy. He wrote Death by China. He clearly understands the long-term China uh, threat, the threat to our uh, superpower status, the fact that they want to displace us. You do have the globalist Wall Street types in the administration that are worried about what the stock market did. Mnuchin and Larry Kudlow. And uh, so there is that uh, conflict between or difference of opinion between advisors. So there is that worry. I'm I'm thinking that uh, there has interestingly been a lot of bipartisan support now for the prospect that China is a strategic competitor. In it fact, kind of Democratic- seems that the scales have fallen from people's eyes and they're, they're uh, coming around to Trump's uh, realization that uh, China is a, a geostrategic competitor that we're, uh, we're, we're just empowering. Yeah, you see the mainstream media now saying that, uh, you know, Trump compromises. We went through this for what? Uh, You see Michael Bennett, the senator from Colorado, who's never seen a trade agreement he didn't like, say that Trump needs to stay strong on China. 
so yeah, the scales have fallen from their eyes, and, and I, I welcome the change. I, you know, I wish that those folks had been more aggressive on trade before, but you, you welcome the world coming around our way. Well, you guys have been working on this uh, sort of a voice in the wilderness for a long time, and uh, and now uh, everything you're uh, you've been saying is starting to gain traction, as you said, on both sides of the aisle politically, but also in some of the uh, the, the publications for the globalist publications like the Wall Street Journal and others. Uh, but this is coming on the heels of um, you know the point where we built China up so much that they're. They're uh, challenge, challenging us uh, in our um, lanes of navigation in the South China Sea, and uh, and making you know rattling the saber against our allies in the region. Um, and uh, what do you think uh, the the uh, the relationship uh, with uh, North Korea and trying to negotiate denuclearization on the Korean Peninsula, how that might play into all of this? Well, it could go either way. Uh, it's it's really not my specialty. I think, you know, we, it seemed that Trump was giving up on China being an ally with North Korea. They, they had dangled that for some time to prevent us from taking trade action from them. But, but Trump did walk away uh, in Vietnam uh, in those negotiations. And so it... it it's 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 really hard to say, but but ultimately it's the fact that the U.S. dollar is strengthening stronger, stronger, stronger. We're selling more and more treasuries, more dollar dollar based securities that uh, to the world, and we need to be selling stuff. So when when the when we've got this global glut and it's a glut of capital in the world that's flowing into U.S. pushing that dollar up. It's it's making we're selling treasuries, but we're not selling stuff because the dollar gets too high. It drives all goods and services the U.S. sells to the world higher. It makes all our imports cheaper, and we've got to get to a point where we use the dollar to balance trade because we just can't do it just with tariffs. Tariffs are a good idea for several reasons, but they can't balance trade, and we're going to have flyover country be gutted by the strong dollar while Wall Street does pretty well has been and continues to be uh you mentioned that uh, lighthizer is an outstanding trade representative and he's got uh, support there from uh, wilbur ross and uh, um what was the other uh, representative you mentioned um navarro navarro uh but of course we've got uh, larry kudlow and steven mnuchin uh devout globalists in the room and uh here's what uh, mnuchin had to say at uh, the last uh at Davos, I think it was a year before last. In the short term, where the dollar is, is not a concern of mine, okay, that it will fluctuate. That uh, in the short term, there's obviously benefits uh, and, and issues with a, a lower dollar. So Wall Street benefits from a weak dollar. Of course, it, uh, it hammers Main Street. Um, just, you know, for... Us listeners that are, are not economists, uh, uh, tell us exactly how that relationship works and having a strong dollar um, disadvantages America's uh, manufacturers and workers. Yeah, it's, a, it's an overvalued dollar. We need a competitive dollar. So, and, and what I'm about to tell you, most trade experts don't get because they're really focused on the, the, the tariffs, the, the uh, subsidies, and that sort of thing, which, are, which we should be focusing on. But the fact is you've got 
people assume there's a, a shortage of capital in the world. There's not. There's a glut. Even Ben Bernanke recognized there's a glut back in 2005. So you have the trade surplus countries like China and Germany, Japan, South Korea. They generate these trade surpluses. They suppress consumption at home. They overproduce. They, they, they sell their excess production to other countries, especially the U.S. They generate a lot of capital from that or excessive savings, as some of the economists call it. That has to go somewhere because they don't invest it at home. It flows into the global markets. And the U.S. welcomes it with open arms. Uh, so we have massive capital inflows. In fact, it hit a near record last year. With those capital inflows that mirror the goods uh, inflows, that those capital inflows push the dollar up, they keep pushing it up, and, and it makes us even more non-competitive. So if you're selling to the, 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 the Chinese in dollar, you know, something based in dollars, and the dollar is strong, it makes it more expensive. So we know that China devalued their dollar, Japan devalued, or sorry, their yuan, Japan devalued the yen, and Germany's got an undervalued uh, uh, euro, the Europeans do. All of them have trade surpluses with us, and their goods are ever cheaper uh, uh, because of their undervaluation. And so it is the, the, the point here is we've got to get a handle on a competitive dollar if Main Street's going to survive. And it's these net capital inflows pushing up the dollar that Mnuchin welcomes that other countries don't. And that is the cause here. Well, isn't a strong dollar an inevitable side effect of um, the U.S. being the world's reserve currency? Uh, absent action, yes, it is. So the dollar is the world's reserve currency. Other countries need to use, acquire dollars in order to do things like trade internationally. Most uh, goods internationally are invoiced in dollars, even between Turkey and Saudi Arabia. The, Saudi Arabia will invoice oil in dollars. Turkey will invoice steel in dollars. So people acquire dollars, they buy dollars to conduct international trade, which pushes the dollar up because it's a reason. They don't acquire Mexican pesos to do right. it, so there's not a, a push demand there. And the U.S. is also the world, an investment safe. So when Turkey crashes or Argentina crashes, it's a place to park money for everyone. Uh, so these massive flows come in, push the dollar up. But the thing is, we think it's, you know, some people say it's great, but it, it like I say, it benefits benefits Goldman Sachs, uh, but it doesn't benefit Main Street. And in fact, if Main Street benefited, Goldman Sachs would be happier anyway. They just don't maybe realize it in the short term. But that's why the reserve currency, as you say, has a big part to do with it. And we could still, if we pushed it down, be the reserve currency, but we would just have to manage the dollar a little bit smarter to get to a competitive level. See, the United States became an industrial superpower uh, based largely on protectionist uh, industrial policy and uh, you know, um, a philosophy that was pushed by Alexander Hamilton and others uh, that uh, coincided with the rise of the United States as an uh, economic power. Um, if we continued or if we pursued uh, those policies again and, and balanced our trade with tariffs, then wouldn't the, uh, the strong dollar be mitigated by inflows into the U.S. Treasury uh, from, from these imports and, uh, and, and we would be able to protect our, uh, our industries and at the same time uh, benefit the, uh, you know, the bottom line? 
be you'd have to put awfully high tariffs against the whole world for that to happen. Back when the U.S. was appropriately uh, protectionist, protecting its industry so it could build our industry in relation to the incumbent superpower of the day, which was Great Britain, we were successful in that. Uh, uh, by what 1880 or so, we went from being a banana republic, breakaway colony, to the biggest economy in the world. Right. Uh, Britain overfinancialized, and uh, the London financial sector became enamored with selling pounds, selling pounds as opposed to goods, made the rest of the country non-competitive, and we ended up ended up displacing them. Britain, as the new Britain superpower. did. Britain did what we're doing yeah. now. Britain did what we were doing now. They had an overvalued pound, and they, uh, they had uh, trade deficits, but they thought the financial sector was going to save them, and selling pounds rather than goods was the future of Britain, and that took them down. They ended up being displaced by us uh, as the superpower. Now we're following the, the same path, selling our currency rather than selling our goods. And that led to the collapse of the British Empire as we know it. One of the things that concerns me, and uh, I think uh, most people that are watching this, is the fact that you know we've basically financed uh, China's rise on the world stage as a, a geopolitical, military, and economic uh, uh, rival. A, a rival to the United States. And we had uh, Secretary of State Mike Pompeo over in the Philippines this last week uh, basically giving uh, war guarantees uh, to the Philippines uh, if they uh, end up in a conflict with China. Let me play you this clip. As an island nation, the Philippines depends on free and unobstructed access to the seas. China's island building and military activities in the South China Sea threaten your sovereignty, security, and therefore economic livelihood, as well as that of the United States. As the South China Sea is part of the Pacific any armed attack on Philippine forces, aircraft, or public vessels in the South China Sea would trigger mutual defense obligations under Article 4 of our Mutual Defense Treaty. So, Michael, at the risk of being an alarmist, what in the world are we doing uh, continuing to have these huge trade relationships or this huge trade relationship with a communist dictatorship that is uh, directly confronting us uh, you know, in, in the Pacific Rim? Right. It, it, it doesn't make any sense. From a national security standpoint, our strong dollar caused our, our, our dollar rose last year by 7 percent. And so China, our trade deficit with China increased from 380 billion to 419 billion. Mm. That funded China's rise. It funded their building islands in the South China Sea. So we're paying for their military rise as we're under uh, underpinning or underwriting the the, uh, the defense of the Philippines and other countries in that region. We would never have done that with the Soviet Union. We, we, we used, uh, you know, the containment strategy to put them into basically a bankruptcy status where they uh, collapsed because they couldn't pay the bills. Where they, remain today, where they remain today, and yet the, uh, the political class in Washington, D.C. is so focused on uh, the relatively minor threat from Russia, I would say, and uh, and completely oblivious to you know uh, what we're doing uh, with China. That's right. You know, the difference was that our political class twenty, thirty years ago thought that the trade with China would make them an open market economy, a free market economy, a democratic uh, society, an open society. That's failed. 
we never thought that that would happen with the Soviet Union. But now that we know that China's a strategic competitor, competitor with predatory economic strategies uh, bent on displacing the U.S., it, it just needs to change that we cannot fund their rise to the tune of $420 billion a year plus. So I just want to put a bow on this conversation by playing a, a quick clip of uh, President Trump addressing the issue of a strong dollar and then uh, come back to you and, uh, and get your prescription for how, in fact, we can uh, address this issue. Because I read his exact same, but I'll tell you where I stand, which ultimately is very important. Number one, I don't like talking about it because, frankly, nobody should be talking about it. It should be what it is. It should also be based on the strength of the country. We are doing so well. Our country is becoming so economically strong again, and strong in other ways, too, by the way, that the dollar is going to get stronger and stronger. And ultimately, I want to see a strong dollar. So the president seems to be saying that if we have a, a strong economy, it, uh, it just follows that we're going to have a strong dollar. And you're saying if we have a strong dollar, then uh, we're going to continue to exacerbate these, uh, these trade deficits. So how do we balance this? Right, right. Our strong economy is it's consumption. We have a debt-funded economy right now. We're, we're funded by selling treasury debt. If we we just did a study last week, we put out a study saying that if we adjusted the dollar gradually over a couple of years, 27% downward, in the next six years, we would supercharge our economy. Our economy would become a trillion dollars bigger than it's otherwise projected to be. If we adjusted the dollar down 27%, we would generate 6.7 million more jobs in six years than we're otherwise projected. That reverses the China shock, which is five to six million jobs lost. We would reverse the China shock with a dollar price adjustment downward 27%. How do we balance trade? We would balance trade and our manufacturing sector would gain employment uh, by like 14% per year. It would be massive. That is a strong economy. How do we adjust the strength of the dollar? So what we do, we've got a global savings glut that's flowing into the U.S., pushing up our dollar. We need to deflect it. We need to moderate demand for the dollar. That means putting a variable rate charge or tariff on incoming foreign funds, which is more powerful than a tariff on foreign goods. A variable, a half a say that again, a variable rate charge or tariff on incoming capital. Capital. So foreign capital buying dollar assets would have start at a half a percent charge and go up to, say, one, two, three, gradually. To and since we're the reserve them, currency, we would have the, the strength to be able to do that. We would. We're now providing central bank services to the world for free uh, at our own detriment. We charge for it. And we, we, we do that charge to moderate, not stop, moderate the demand for the dollar to push the dollar down to a trade-balancing price to supercharge our economy. Is that considered a heretical uh, prescription uh, to, the, to the economists on, uh, on Wall Street and in Washington? Yeah, it, it is heretical. It is a moonshot. Of course, tariffs were heretical, too, and so they're being, uh, they're, they're being normalized now. But, yes, Wall Street would oppose it, um, but it ge- generated a lot of mint revenue, and, of course, it would supercharge our economy. So that uh, a tariff on capital is more powerful than a tariff on goods. 
well, I'm going to have to uh, wrap my mind around that. I uh, never had heard of that before and bring you back on uh, to discuss it further. Michael Stumo is the CEO for the Coalition for a Prosperous America. You can find him on Twitter at Michael underscore Stumo.com, and you can read his articles in The Hill, The American Prospect, Global Trade Magazine, and others. Uh, Mike, thanks for joining us, and uh, thank you for the good work that uh, CPA uh, and you are doing up there in Washington, D.C. for us. Thanks for having me. Pleasure. I've been working at Santa's workshop for a long time and thought I'd seen it all. That was until I learned that when you add Xfinity Mobile to Xfinity Internet, you can save hundreds on your wireless bill. Go online or call 1-800-XFINITY today. Restrictions apply. Xfinity Internet required for mobile. This episode is sponsored by Schwann's.com. What are you having for dinner tonight? Hmm, good question. Schwann's Home Delivery has a solution for you. Stock up your freezer with high-quality frozen foods like premium meats and sides, delicious ready-made meals, ice cream, and more. No subscriptions, no memberships, just a friendly yellow truck that's been delivering food for almost 70 years. Listeners of this show get a special deal. Get 20% off your first order with code YUM20. Check out schwanns.com backslash yum for details.